Across the Streams podcast, Calling Men In. We're back, season six, as first Calling Men In segment. We've got the band back together. Um, we've been rolling these out. I've been taping about a week in advance of release date. So um, I think most of the stuff we're going to hit on today isn't time sensitive. It'll be, it'll be pretty relevant when the episode is dropped. Uh, but just so everybody, I'm taping in advance, you know, managing all the hats that all my guests and myself wear. It's been easier to, to schedule some Sundays and then roll it out about a week uh, behind it. I've actually tried to edit a little bit of the sound. Kane would be proud of me taking the extra week to actually try to do some quality over the quantity. Okay, but that's that's not my strength. I like to get it done and get it out. But anyway, let's reintroduce the cast, the crew. Uh, from calling men in, Carly, why don't you start off, reintroduce yourselves to everyone, name, career, title, all the things, wonderful things you do. Yeah, thanks so much for having me back, Kip. It's really nice to be back with you and Jeff. For I can't believe how long this has been going. It's really exciting. Um, so just really glad to be back. I'm Carly Rohner. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm with the Oregon Attorney General's Sexual Assault Task Force, or Oregon SATF. I work with all of the colleges and universities in the state to help increase their violence prevention efforts. So as the campus coordinator, I get to work with lots of cool folks in different positions and just really excited to be back. Thank you. And Jeff, you're joining us. You brand new, exciting stuff in your world. So go ahead and share with everybody all the things you're doing now. Appreciate it. Good to see you, Carly. Thank you, Kip. You're, uh, I know this is radio, man, but your, your merch looks really nice. It's really <laughs> nice. Uh, Jeff Matsushita, uh, he, him, his. Uh, I, I left the Idaho Coalition Against Sexual and Domestic Violence. I've been there since 2004. Uh, so, uh, stepped off, uh, stepped off and I'm trying a new thing, um, sort of like halfway. Um, I started a, a company called stretch zone consortium. So using the expertise that I've gathered from women, women of color, non-binary LGBTQIA folks, and men, you know, about how, how men show up, can show up while we can shift masculinity towards a place where we're all healthy, healthy and healing, right? Reconnect our heads to our hearts. Um, so that's been kind of the, the leap and then to keep my foot in the, uh, the institutional world, which, uh, change is hard for me. So I'm, I'm working part-time at Boise state, um, got to really work alongside four, excuse me, not alongside for a colleague, um, the, the gender equity center executive director, they, she and I have been working together for 17 years. So it's really great to be able to work. Um, under her and her team. Uh, and again, the bridge on campus at Boise State is looking at lifting up the, the work of what men can be doing. So also some prevention work on campus, bystander domestic sexual violence prevention programming, uh, working with student athletes, fraternities, the, the military community, um, and general student body. So got a foot in both wars. I, I, stability, man, like, I don't like change. So <laughs> I'm institutionalized still, and then I've also got my foot out in this unsettled water. So I appreciate you letting me share that. Yeah, congratulations. And then change is never easy, right? Take some courage and some bravery. So congrats to you. Uh, I know, Jeff, you, you got to detail a little bit of, of what you're doing. Carly, interested in you're joining us today knee-deep in so many things. Uh, list something that you and, you know, in, in the Oregon, the task force is working on. Uh, currently, as, as you know, it's a Sunday and you got your headphones in and you're, I'm making you work. It should be resting. Uh, but what, what stuff are you guys currently, currently attacking? Yeah. And this is good work. So I'm always happy to do it. Um, 
right now we're coming out of legislative season. So I feel like I'm in a brain fog, like reemerging into the world because we do a lot of policy work through the state. So coming out of that, my new focus is going to be working on how can we get education to students in a way that is not just convenient, but also exciting for them. So I'm really excited to kind of restart. Students always are so energizing, I feel like, for me in this work. And so getting to work with our student committee and some other folks to look at how can we get training for peer health educators? How can we get training for, like Jeff was saying, fraternities, folks on athletic teams that are interested in doing kind of that self-education or doing that on their own time or perhaps with their clubs or organizations. So that's kind of my next step, I think. And then the other piece, I'm really excited that we're gonna launch here probably within the next week or two. Um, we've had a little bit of staffing turnover. I think as Jeff was saying, like lots of folks in our work are either hitting really high levels of burnout mm. or just realizing like, wow, there are so many different other spaces that we can kind of use these skills and maybe that's it's time for a change so we're having a little bit of that at our agency too and because of that some projects got pushed back and the one that i'm most excited about right now is we're relaunching a website for all of oregon students so that they can log in and once they're there find out all of their options so do they want to meet with somebody confidential what does that look like if they've experienced harm and then the next piece of it is like at their individual school how can they report how can they get connected if they want to with law enforcement if not fine just with their school what kind of supports can they anticipate so that campus reporting options website is going to launch um here in the next week or two and i'm super excited for that resource to come out for folks Man, thank you. That, thank you. That's a lot of great stuff. And I want to get back to this, the burnout you talked about, because that that's a little bit of the capacity question I want to get to you guys. But um, Jeff, you know, you mentioned the gender equities director's office, you know, you're part time with and, you know, your stretch zone stuff. Give me some stuff that you guys are are working on or in the middle of creating, doing, executing. Uh, you know, with, with Boise State, they want to do programming, right? They, as, the, as the things have changed, and you all in Oregon are leading the way with, I'm really curious about this, this campus reporting option, Carly. Um, I think that's providing information, right? And we also know that male, male identified student athletes, they are also, they're, they're harmed, right? They are perpetrated violence against them too. Yet this conversation we continue to do with teams of men lifts up the, the idea that men can be harmed how do we shift that narrative that's not all men are perpetrators right we're still up against that so the expansion of campus is really looking at um, some regular programming like four years of programming and it's getting out of the silos on campus and i appreciate this interest from athletics the gender equity center title nine um, and the student conduct of what ways can they bridge in with uh, the the health and wellness campus so there's something called bronco life um, that's a student health organization along with new student organizations along with the, the, the multicultural organizations on campus, right? Getting out of silos and the collaboration to build a four-year partnership with the student athletes because we know multiple identities they come on the campus. How can they experience and enhance those existences? Um, and then on, the, on the, the personal side, continue to do reproductive health education with young men who are incarcerated. And, and I can't lift that work up enough. Hit that word hope, really, man, I, Last week, we finished uh, week eight of a 10-week curriculum called Wise Guys with young men in uh, our, neighboring can our neighboring county's juvenile detention center. And it's a, it's a setup, man. Like, there's street organizations in this, in this county. 
So I have to do two sessions. We can't do all 15 young men together because they're coming from you know, rivals. So the first group is we break it up. Second group, break it up. But what is consistently what I'm able to share across is like, yo, the dudes who are just in here, we're opening up vulnerable about how who they look up to. Same people y'all are looking up to. Oh, how much we rely on women? They said the same thing too. They count on women in their lives like too. Oh, the fact that they don't feel like they can cry, they gotta be tough all the time, where that that face backwards, like J. Cole's beautiful song, uh, Fold Clothes, like men gotta wear our face backwards. Yo, they just said the same thing. Like, so this humanization that goes back and forth. And these young men give me hope because they they're willing to flex that muscle of vulnerability with one another and with me, I'm a stranger. And so this idea about consistently showing up and providing opportunity and space for these young men to do their thing, to get learning. And reproductive health education ain't sexy. I mean, we're talking about you know, penis, vagina, ovaries, puberty world, but how does manhood masculinity narrative play a part in how we make decisions about sex? So that's been our avenue and our hook. So we spend 10 weeks with these young men Probably six are really based in this manhood masculinity conversation. Pressures, expectations, medically accurate biology, of course, healthy relationships. But in the end, these young men are getting that muscle of flexing vulnerability with one another. And so as they go out practicing, getting conversations that are deeper than the surface, do those young men give me hope? That's awesome. I appreciate that share. For both of you, I, have, I was thinking about this, Carly, for the website you mentioned uh jeff I, I you talked about the 10-week program the bronco life how much of your you all's work is uh, originals wrong because I, I don't know if there's if there's like there's not like i just created this idea no one in history has ever thought of it that's not you know and that's probably not possible but how much of this is piecing together established stuff or writing these curriculums writing these this website content you know, how much of that, you, you Carly, start off with it in building a website that's so amazing for Oregon students. Is that drag, grabbing and dropping in link, like connections? Talk to us about how that, the creative process for this. Yeah, I think like Jeff was saying earlier, a lot of our work is built off of the work of the folks who came before us, right? And I'm no different in this regard. So this website is redone, new, lots of stuff added, and is a kind of version 2.0, if you will, from an original, our statewide campus committee identified in like 2014, 2015, sometime around there, like this is a resource students need. Not every school has the resources to make sure that every student knows what their options and rights are when it comes to having experienced harm and like, what are we gonna do next? And so because of that, we were like, there are huge pockets of Oregon students where they are getting inequitable service. They don't know where they can go, who they can turn to. And so from that, um, my predecessor in this role, Jackie Sandmeyer, shout out to them. They own TICS Education Specialists up in Portland and it's fantastic. They worked with that campus committee to build the original version of this website. And then we're kind of taking that version 2.0 and expanding it to include more information around medical services. Like what does it look like if you go to the hospital? What can you expect? What can you anticipate? Um, we had a lot of folks from a bunch of different disciplines help us this go around to really beef up what students can 
learn about if they're interested. And then the other thing this time around that we're adding that's a little bit different um, was really driven by our students. And it's like, how can I have a friend? I don't, I don't have a single place that is Oregon specific where I can learn about Oregon resources to know how to support my friend or family member if I know that I need to do that. And so we're trying to sneak some prevention information and education in there as well. But that, um, I think to answer the original question, there's always at least some component of my work that's being built off of somebody else's mm. research or template or whatever they've done. And then my job is to kind of figure out, like, how can we get creative with the limited resources we have to make sure we make the biggest impact across our state? So that's No, kind of I appreciate that. And Jeff, I, I want driven. you to, yeah. Jeff, answer as well, but... Carly, is there like legal with eyes on these? Like, and I'm thinking about, in, you know, intellectual property. I'm thinking about the world we live in in 2022, the litigious state we all exist in. How much of that is like, hey, we're using this in good faith? I mean, you don't have to get in the weeds necessarily, but, you know, as I'm going through just for, for teams of men and finding great things and then thinking to myself too, like, am I repackaging this? And then am I going to make a profit off somebody else's study? You know, all those things that that's what I, why I have a business lawyer these days, right? To go over some of these things, but talk to me about, is that ever a, a pause in some, you know, this person's eyes that legal has to be on that? Yeah. So the nice piece about, I think for the majority of my work is coming from higher ed, I'm really good at citations. Mm -hmm. So I'm citing everything. So I'm making sure folks know like, and nobody is under any kind of, I think, misperception when I walk into a room that I am the end all be all expert. And so those citations, I'm like, yeah, I didn't come up with this. Mm -hmm. Like this is, there's legitimacy from other folks out there. And on a lot of my stuff, I'm just saying like, hey, if this is something that feels really important and that you're gonna use, it, just remember it's not legal advice and mm. i open a lot of my meetings with mm. that as well so folks know i'm not so a lawyer good. but we can connect you to those legal services if you need that so yeah i think for me i'm really relying heavily on those citations and making sure folks just you know the original source where that's coming from jeff yeah carly i'm glad i probably need some refreshers about citing things um I just had this experience. I did a on campus. There was a professor. They were interested in in their public health class adding some videos around engaging men work. And so I I sent her my like script of agenda. They were going to record it. And I said, "Oh, I'll use these two videos." And it was a wake up call. Like, oh, I, I haven't ever had to source this this legal question. Um, so I always have erred on the side of caution as far as like asking for forgiveness. Again, I'm so far under the radar and nobody's sneaking me out. Um, I want to name though that a lot of this information for me is not mine. Like you mm -hmm. mentioned, Carly, like people came before us, but um, had a guy today, I went to a retirement party. He's moving uh, to North Idaho, so I coached with. And I asked him what the winter months, he's a big fisherman. I said, what are you going to do in the winter? And he described what he'd been doing this winter, which was, I'm just finding men who, who want me to listen. And it was really simple, but it was beautiful. And I think that this heartfelt space that he is a great listener. Um, so for us as men coming into this work, we need to do a lot more listening. And then it's amplifying, like Kip, you talk about friends with platform growth, amplifying voices that have, that should be heard. It's not us taking up the airwaves, it's us amp turning it up. And, and in this mark of like legalese and cover my tail, um, I, I bank on stories. So the group work we do, the activities I've done, yeah, I take them and I adjust them and I adapt them. 
because I know they were adjusted and adapted before I saw them in that box curriculum. I ask for permissions. So I reach out to people who created them. I want to know who created it and give credit to, because again, changing this norm for me as a man, like taking credit for things, um, I need to shift that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, asking for help, asking for permissions, has just been part of the regular queue. So not legalese necessarily, but credit where it is due. Mm-hmm. And looking at shifting this idea about as a man, I must know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm getting credit to who created it. And also modeling that vulnerability with the young men in front of them. And like, well, it ain't me. It ain't us. This yeah. is us just listening. Back. I love that. I, I, I was thinking too, as you were both were talking, in naming it, you know, Carla, you mentioned who, who it comes from, Jeff, similar. I do think some men need that certification of your idea based on, oh, I got this from here. I got this from there. I got this from this. Because you, like Jeff, you mentioned doing the work. It's so difficult as a stranger walking in. But I got it from, even if I put doctor of, I got it from this study, suddenly I get a little bit more leeway with somebody for a little bit of time. Uh, so that, that made me think about it. With, with all this, you know, this is like an added component to the actual work you both, you know, do so well. And how's your capacity? Like, this is like another thing. I got this, I finally got the audience. I got the stuff I want. Oh, now we got this legal shit we got to worry about. Like, how's your capacity in general? Uh, where's your hope gauge? You know, I don't mind. Mine goes up and down. You know, I think like everybody, I'm a human being. Um, I, I have more hopeful days and more like, Jesus, this is never going to change days. And sometimes it's from my own chambers that I exist, that I choose to exist in, right? And I need to get out of those bubbles. But give me a feeling, Jeff, go ahead, go first. How, how is it? Yeah, uh, well, I've been hitting the road more. And so I've been out. And so going out, being in people, with people, sitting in a circle, like that has risen my hope level. Um, and the organizations that are asking for it, right? Like very institutionalized pieces. Um, so that has risen my hope level on, on places that are asking for these conversations. Um, changing weather, like, you know, we're animals still, man. It's springing here over in, in, in you know, Southwest of Idaho. Uh, some, some flowers are coming through. That gives me hope, the weather change. I feel... I had a weird re- realization talking with my, my director now at, at, on campus of Boise State. She said, hey, I want you to know, like, you're, you're going to be probably the most radical person in the room. And that just floored me because where I came from, I was an old conservative guy. So there is this new shift and change, which I, I do believe is necessary for me not to be comfortable, but move into that stretch zone right, where we can learn and, and connect. So that's giving me hope because I get to change, man. Thank you. Carly. Yeah, I think if you had asked this question a couple weeks ago, like you said, I'm human. I think I would have had a different answer at that point in time. Legislative processes are not something that I was raised to be able to understand. I think like a lot of folks, um, our government systems aren't super transparent and easy for folks to follow. And just being enmeshed in that world and realizing how hard it is for certain people to access rooms that like, I have no business being in, but I get to be there. I think that really wore me down a little Mm -hmm. bit. And so I'm coming out of that and really feeling grateful for that access. And then I think that piece I was saying earlier, I've got to connect so much more with students over the last couple of weeks and just hearing some of the things that they say, I'm like, oh yeah, reminded, I'm not carrying this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a piece that all of us who are connected to this work, whether it's on prevention, the response end, I think we all get into these spaces sometimes where we're like, if I don't hold 
a huge piece of this, it's falling through the cracks. And what that means is so many people are going to be harmed. So many people are going to experience a hurt that I don't want them to experience. And it's just been so uplifting to be with these students and talking about the incredible things that they do and the incredible ideas that they're having, the things that they do on their campus that like took me 10 years of being a professional to figure out just makes me be like, good, there's more people. I don't have to hold this Mm. piece. And so just that reminder again has been really, um, raising that hope level, I think for me lately. I like that. And I think I need to remember what that holding, you can't hold it all, man. You can't, you can't hold it all. That's, that's fantastic. Do you think both of you, as you guys are navigating different, Carly, you brought up the legislator, Jeff talking about institutions that used to be closed and now they're open to more of these conversations. Are they designed to move glacially on purpose? Right. Are they, cause I, I know that is one of my biggest shortcomings. I don't know if it, it, sometimes it's a strength. Sometimes it's just like, this is why you don't sleep a lot because the world doesn't move as fast as you think it should. And welcome to reality, like never has. Right. But I, like Carla, you mentioned the legislative process and the legalese. Like I feel like it's designed to be overly complicated on purpose. Um, now that's probably a whole nother podcast, but I, I know higher ed, I get that feeling a ton. Like we're doing what and we're doing what meeting about what clarification. Can we just make a choice to change? But whoever wants to feel that it's not really a question, more of a frustrated, pessimistic observation of the things we need to change and how fast they go about it. Yeah. I think we always talk in our work about folks who are processing people and the people who are just like, get it done. Like I'm a product person. I just want to get it done. Mm -hmm. And I know for a lot of coaches, it's on the product end of like, I don't need to sit here and talk about a policy for 10 years. Like let's make change. Let's make it happen. And so when you were saying that, that's what I was thinking of was kind of the duality of both those. And I think we need both. And so Mm -hmm. that frustration or that, that inaccessibility to folks that I feel with the legislature. I am also super grateful. Like the legislative partners that I work with fast tracked a lot of the Mm. stuff that we really needed for our state. And so there are those pieces there when folks care or are knowledgeable about an issue. I think that overall system and structure for regular people to be able to give input was the piece I have more frustration around. And some of that slowness is good, like moving methodically before we put something in writing that's going to impact an entire state full of people. We shouldn't rush that, right? Like we should make sure that it's good, that we have buy-in and it's frustrating, I think at the same time for folks. So that's a non-answer. No, no, that's good. That's good. There's good parts and bad. Absolutely. Jeff. I really appreciate the end of your answer. I appreciate your answer, but the end part really like, yes, methodical does because we're considering who we're, who this is going to affect. I keep seeing it from the end of like us as men, like holding on to power and I'm going to be a damn slow drip because I don't want to give it up. So I can hide behind the, oh, well, this is the way we've always done it historically. Um, this is tradition. This is, you know, what we found best practices. We can hide behind those academic layers of needing things to be evidence-based in a large enough sample in that, in that research end of it. Um, and then I know in that word tradition, that always kind of freaks me out when I hear it because well, why? Let's, we don't, if we're not questioning what we're doing, then we are part of the problem. And so I, my short answer to it is that, you know, it's a bunch of men that are holding on to it. And I think the institutions that I had been engaging with recently was because they don't want to lose power. And they're fearful of what giving up power means, assuming it's a one-to-one ratio, meaning I've got a hundred apples and if I got to give 40 
to a group of people with different identities than me, then that means I only got 60 and I don't want to give up. And I think there's, because I know it's in me. So I, that's how, that's my unresearched end of it. I do believe it's us as men or people with power, right? Mm-hmm. They're only on who don't want to share it. Um, one of these institutions talked about how progressive they were. And, and I had to remind them, like, they're only here because this is a mandatory and you would be fined by the overarching body if y'all weren't here. So yep. no, y'all ain't progressive. Right. But thanks. Right. Clearly. Right. No, I, I appreciate that. It, it draws on, I don't want to sidetrack us too much, but I had this argument at one of the state tournaments I was at in recruiting and a friend of mine who's a high school coach was like, when are you going to go back to suits on the sideline? And I was like, never, I'm never going back to suits. Like we're staying cash and comfortable. And he was like, well, that's just not really respecting the traditions of the game. And I let Jeff, you, what you just said, I said, who wrote those traditions? What, what, what did they look like? And he was like, oh, you're going to get me in one of these convos. And I said, you stepped in it. You know, you need to shut up and watch this game. Or we can have this conversation. I'm good either way because we're going to keep wearing hoodies and comfortable coaching slacks and some Air Jordans. We're going to be sick, you know, like, uh, but this, okay, this is a great, okay, let's move, shift a little bit to what I pre I'd appreciate you guys going with me on these tangents. Give me, and it could, doesn't have to be the students or, or the, the young folks are working on I mean, it. It could be those people that are holding on to the power, Jeff, that you talked about. Or it could be, Carly, the folks that you guys gave evidence to, to, to fast track things. Talk to me about languages of change. You know, like as a coach, Carly, you and I were talking about this pre-taping. Like I forever, you feel like I'm saying facts. I am speaking analytical, scientifically based truths to you and getting the door slammed in my face in your brain. So I've tried to be better over the last three, four years. And even, I mean, this off season, like asking our guys, please tell me, here's a list of languages of change. Please rank them in order of what you will listen to. So I don't build a book that would convince Kip's clone to make change because Kip's clone's not on my couch. It's Johnny from Texas, right? You know, it's Diedrich from Colorado. That's who's on my couch. What is your language change? Where does that come into the work that you all do? Like, is that researched up front? Is that as you're reacting? You know, Jeff, you talked about, I'm in person with people. It's uplifting. Like, in there, is that is that the stories are a language of change? Is that because it's your strength? Have you found that to be this, the, the change meter? Go Yes, go wherever you want. But I'm really interested in the last month or two with languages of change and what actually impacts people to, to do it. You know, I sat with my team and I said, hey, Today's teams of men meeting. I want you to share with each other the last thing you actually truly changed. I don't care if it's your haircut. What led to it? What did you actually change? If you decided you no longer like that rapper, why? Before I even begin to ask you to, to talk about what you believe about manhood, can you bring up one thing you changed? And it was some silence for a while. For a while. Not because my guys are like uniquely pig-headed. I just think it's people, it's like the illusion intro, the illusion of introspection. Like, I can point out what you need to change. I haven't changed nothing in years. And I know I was that guy for a long time. But anyway, somebody chew on that bone that I just threw out there of 47 things. Yeah, I think most recently, the piece where you were bringing up about legislative work, one of the things that I do going into spaces is think about like, okay, what are my irreputable, like, these are the facts. These are just like, what are some things that might be helpful if somebody decides that they want to 
grow in their knowledge around this topic. So I come in with that. And then the other piece, usually when I'm going into that space, it's like, what is important to you about this? Mm. Obviously, like you're inviting me here or you think it's important to have me host this mandatory meeting or whatever it might be. So what got you in? Was it because it's mandated and like you're going to be fined or is it because there's some other piece? And I think one of the things I've learned is like, we talk about this in trainings all the time. Every single person on this planet has some kind of connection to either somebody they know, we ourselves have been harmed, whatever it is. And so it's not like, it's not a big leap for most folks to then once we can be like, yeah, connect this to our lives, connect this just to us as humans. When we, when we go at it, I think from that angle, I see folks make so much more change than when I come in and I'm like, remember that list of facts I had, I'm going to sit here and read them to you and educate mm-hmm. you and you're wrong and you're bad. Oh, and especially if you're male identified, you're extra bad. Like that has never been <laughs> successful. And so I think starting at that place, and we've talked about it on here in the past, like you're a human, I'm a human. We both want this really awful social issue to stop. How do we get to a place where we can agree on the strategy to make that happen? whether it's hosting this training, introducing legislation. So that change piece that I'm usually listening for is a shift from, I want to get to the fastest end possible. Like I want this meeting to be done. I want you to send me an email to, I want to connect this to my life or I want to make this change because this is why I think this is important and how I see it showing up and impacting my friends, my family, drawing that personal connection. I love I that. Know, I love the part about, you know, figuring out why they wanted you there. You know, I was just on a coaching uh, Zoom hour before we all got together. And they talked about if you let the if you let the kids define the victory, then you don't have to depend on the scoreboard. And if you let them lay out in the preseason, what does victory look like that's independent of the score? Suddenly you can achieve those things that they really wanted, that they cared about. So that, that made me think of that. Love it. Jeff, your thoughts. The straightest line, this is from Norma Wong, our, our strategist when I was with the coalition. Um, talk about the, the, the shortest distance between two people is a story, and mm. primarily a heart story. Uh, and then, you know, my mentor, Tony Porter, always says that we got to grab men by their hearts. And you mentioned this too, Carly, but Ted Bunce, the other co founder with the Call to Men, always says, Hey, we're here to invite men, not indict men. So, walking into a space of men, my first go is that y'all ain't, I'm here not because y'all messed up, but there's hope with y'all. We need y'all. So leaning in on them, not as the problem, but as the solution. Um, I guess I found the stories are the connector. I mean, over the years, we I look back at some of our old materials when I was cleaning out some office space, and it was facts, like, again, hard truths. And then it was just like pointing the finger. But I know we've shifted away from that when we get with, in spaces with men and young men, and it's about stories. What's our connection? Um, and my work partner, Brian, he started to get into the out of the political realm in, in the politicization of all this violence prevention, domestic sexual violence work, and just says, we're just sitting down, but what do you want for your grandkids? We can look beyond ourselves and lead it towards this future. What do you want for your grandchildren? And let's talk about the world that you want from them, and then we can build that together. You know, regardless of what your, your political ideologies are, like fresh drinking water, place to drive, a school, um, sports, arts, what is it that you want for grandkids? So I think that's the part that there is more we have in common than not. So 
I have found more success when I walk into a damn space, when I am not in combat mode, I'm not leaning in like 80% of my, of my weight is on my toes. I'm really more like that 60, 40 stance and I can be in conversation and I can really do more listening um, after setting the stage to qualify why we're there. And I love how you mentioned that Carly, reminding why we came through. Um, and again, you can co-construct your, your end game, your outcome or your intentions. Like you mentioned, Kip, if you can co-construct that with the people you're in front of, all the power to them, man. They're bought in there. So are we, would you guys, if somebody asked you who's, like you said, Jeff, and I like that. I always have liked that from Tony, and you've been great at using it in the stuff I've seen you do. When we're changing hearts, are we changing hearts of influencers? Or are we changing hearts of people that need, like, perpetrators? You know you know what I'm saying? Like, not perpetrator is probably the wrong word. Like, if I, I don't want to say I'm kicking the can down because I use the same terminology with, with people I work with. Like, hey, I'm here because your coach believes that you guys have a platform of student athletes that you can help change people. They'll listen to you. But then if they're saying the same thing, are we never actually talking to the guy that has this misguided belief to the guy that's maybe going to commit harm? Talk to me about that. I don't have the answer, but that it, it it's like, a, is it a... If we're never, like you said, Jeff, I like what you said, I don't want to be in combat mode. But sometimes, don't I got to get in the trenches? Aren't we trying to change some of these dudes? In, in the way, in the sphere of influence that I can. Like, I'm going to be burnt out, crispy, pissed off, and I'm trying to change every person I come into contact with. So you, you talked about radical rest earlier a little bit, Kip. Like, knowing when I can and can't, and mm. when I should. So when is my cup more full? Okay, let's, let's have a conversation. But the, the people on the... So Russ Funk used does this in his, uh, he's got a workbook. I can't remember the name of the workbook, but Russ Funk, he talks about men on a continuum. And so there are men who are part of the choir. Like, okay, good, we you know, already there. There are men on the, on the other end that are never gonna come our way. So not that they're hopeless, but that's not us to do that work. Our focus is really in that middle. So I think the habit we have of working with student athletes, people who have social influence this way, is that it's a train the trainer model. Again, leading with like, it's a leadership aspect. These are leadership conversations. And the Institute for Sport and Social Justice has a program called Huddle Up. And doing their activities, they lead with what is leadership to you and who are leaders you look up to. And so that frames the conversation as this is not a, like wagging the finger and being the like killjoy when you go to a party. But it's just as a leadership issue, like the people in your sphere, like, some of your people, hey, knucklehead, we ain't listening to that no more. And this is why. Or, you know, those bystanding moments where it's not the whole damn world because that, no, we're not going to be able to sustain that level of change. Um, so institutionally, you said earlier about, like I said, like men holding the power for like, yeah, it's holding the power of what do they want for their grandchildren. And maybe I talk to their children. And it's going to be this slow rolling change. But if policy, the work that the, the Oregon SATF is doing on the policy end of it, puts it up front of why, this is the why when I have these conversations. I used to always hate policy because it was didn't feel like real change. But in reality, it gives me permission to have these conversations down here on this different level because the policy says this, and this is how we're going to abide by it. But what? how does this land for y'all? Like, what's the real, real? Yeah, the policy says you don't stand for any domestic exception violence. Cool, it should. But what does that look like on the ground? So when we get into heated relationships, heated arguments with our loved ones, partners, spouses, what can we do for one another? Yeah, reach out to me, I'll reach out to you. Like that's getting into the soil work 
to how we can be together, particularly as men, in holding, loving each other, and holding each other accountable. Because the policy is the, is the driver, but the real groundwork, that's where you come in with teams of men, Kip, is building these conversations and communities where men can have the conversations, let them know that I am struggling, and just builds that muscle uh, of, of being vulnerable. So, yeah, I wanted it. To, I wanted it ten years ago, but I know ten years ago today is better than it was, you know, way back. You're doing this from your platform, man. I know you and I played for guys that would never have these conversations with us, mm-hmm. uh, and now it's part of the norm where young men come up after the conversation, like, damn it, I really appreciate this conversation. And our coaches are having more of these with us, not just in the domestic sexual violence world, but they're talking about like the movement for Black Lives. Right. And all the Idaho politics that are going on. So coaches are seeing it and they're humanizing themselves. And the players are getting a chance to be more human beings, reconnecting head to heart. Man, it's moving. Thank you. Carly. Yeah, I think one of the things when you were touching on, like, how who are we speaking to? Is it us or is it, like, those guys out there that are making that change? And I think that is a common phrase I hear a lot in the work is, like, these guys, these folks, these people doing this harm. And I know one of the things I've really had to push myself back, especially more and more as I get into this work, is thinking like, we're not that far removed. And I think that's a really uncomfortable space for us to sit in is we, as the folks who are doing this work, especially, but people in general, we are not two separate beings, no matter if we would never do something as violent as some of the things that we're talking about in this work, or we would never imagine ourselves doing this, we hold this culture up in a lot of different ways. And so one of the things I'm thinking about is not just like, are we speaking to that person? Like, you know, I'm sitting in a room of 50 students. Am I speaking to the one student that I know for sure has done something or is going to do something? No, I'm speaking to the entire group because there are ways we've talked about the pyramid of violence on past episodes, no matter who we are and the best intentions that we have, we do things that hold up the society that allows this to happen, right? So a lot of my work is like, how are we then, like Jeff is saying, doing things like breaking down those jokes in the locker room, right? Like I want to talk to that person. I want to talk to the person who the highest level of violence that they could see themselves doing is like participating in terrible jokes. If that's like your high bar, great. I want to help make sure that I'm talking to you so that then that you're not feeding in more and more to this society that allows violence to flourish. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not even like, I think where I'm coming at this a little differently is I'm not, when I'm entering that conversation, thinking about it's like an us and them, we all do this. Mm -hmm. And so really thinking about like, I think you're talking about those early adopters and those folks who can really drive that change I think it's really important that we make sure that we are intentional to have as many of those folks, those leaders, like Jeff was saying, in the room when we are starting that conversation. So if I know there's a student on my team who maybe they're the worst, like they have got the least points any season combined, but every single person on that team is going to listen to them when they talk. That's the person I want in the room, because if we can help them get the knowledge and information they need, they're going to have a way bigger impact. So it's kind of both of those pieces. Mm -hmm. It's that how can we get the folks in who are those early adopters and really making sure we're not separating folks out like the bad people and the good people. It's we all have some stuff to learn. Mm -hmm. 
No, awesome. No, I appreciate that. Speaking of the pyramid, uh, I had a current event for you all that we sh we talked about, um, and I've done some work with some teams. I work with my own players, and we're talking about in pop culture, right? It never fails to give us material, whether that be good, bad, or everything in between, right? Um, Kanye West, Kim Kardashian, the saga, um, and so I'm gonna let you guys kind of what are all the pillars of the work that are on display? right in this ongoing that everyone's there to see right and, and there's there's so many layers to it I, I know my my guys when i brought it up i played a clip of d.l hewley from the kings of comedy right and the person interviewing him brought it up and was laughing about how you know this is just so much this is just comedy on demand and d.l he was like it's never been funny it's not funny how is this funny um but you know so where do you guys want to go because you know we've got the divorce We've got the, I mean, we've got so many things with relationships, lack of a healthy relationship. We've got stalking, harassment. We've got mental health. I mean, so many things here. I'll give you guys the floor. Where would you start in the room? Jeff, start with your guys that you go see. Where, where would you start to debrief this? Probably the outward facing stuff, particularly between Kanye and uh, Pete Davidson. Like, I thought it was a beautiful example. Like, started me down that dive, man. I wouldn't normally have, so thank you. Uh, maybe thank you. Uh, the text thread between the guy leaked between Pete Davidson and Kanye. Uh, yeah, they were coming at each other with heat, right? Very typical back and forth. And then it shifted and Davidson said, yo, I know mental health, man. I'm, let, let me reach out, let me help you. Like, I'm tired of this, I know my own experience. So he modeled vulnerability and he offered some help to a man who was making some big threats. So to me, that's, that is more the narrative of what's possible, how we men can show up versus the real low bar of like back and forth and going at each other, the mm. beef piece. So mm. that's, I think, where I'd, I'd want to start with some young men is then figuring out what ways, how do we find support for people? Even we don't, we don't like, let's start with one we like. And then how can we shift people we may ask to be with and why? No, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. We, I went, it makes me think about how I could have done, redone some of the things that I've done over. I, Carly, I talked to a, there's some real in the in the spaces I've been in, 19 to 22 year old men, um, variety of relationship experience. Some in committed, some in, you know, the stuff we talk about is not. You know, they're searching out their masculinity and conquest, right? So the possessive, like the 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 dehumanization of Kim in all of this as a as a possession that they can fight over and what's what's appropriate and what's not appropriate for Pete and Kim and I mean, Pete and Kanye and just the erasure of her in this whole thing. There's a, for me, I experienced a lot of the guys connected on, oh, the kids, this is gonna mess up the kids. But still Kim was invisible. And I'm not a Kardashian's watcher, um, but that, that had me, that took us down some conversations. Like, why are you guys pretending she's not a part of this whole thing she's not just the trophy they're passing and fighting over but go ahead yeah i think for your guys and anybody who's doing that um you know thinking about folks and their roles and who we're talking about and who we're not this is like one of the few jackson cats videos that i think is really sums it up well is that piece around the narrative of violence it is super common any of these stories and we i think we've talked about it on past episodes like Anytime a story like this breaks, who do we start to focus on? If it's about holding someone accountable, 
we really quickly shift that focus from the person who's done the harm to who they harmed. Are they lying? All these things. When it's about, I think, this thread that you've touched on here around masculinity and possessiveness and who do we value, it's really quick, I think, in the media that we take out the experience of the person who's been harmed, statistically, somebody in Kim's position who's a woman, right? And so I think that piece, that um, that YouTube video around who, what's the language of violence? Who do we include? Who do we not include is important. And I think beyond that, helping folks to understand like, great, your relationship might not look anything like this. And there are some like really common dynamics that are playing out heavily in the media right now that we see in relationships that everyday people experience this post-separation abuse. Um, you know, how do we shift around the narrative if I'm somebody who's abusive or has harmed somebody, how do I shift that narrative to make it so that I can't be held accountable? All of that is being played out, I think, in addition to the Pete Davidson piece around really modeling some good masculinity mm-hmm. there. The No, thank you. There was Our, our discussion was, uh, we asked our guys, and I got to give credit to uh, one of my lead assistants, Chris Horton, brought up, like, would you guys have a different opinion of what's happening to her? if your first experience with her wasn't a porn video. Did you guys equate that to she deserves this? Or she should be like, she's like immune to this? She doesn't have emotion, she doesn't have feelings? Uh, and there was another long silence. And I'm not because, once again, not assigning any of the guys we're working with maliciousness. I think there was recollection, right? And like processing, oh, shit. That's a damn good point, coach. I haven't, you know, I hadn't thought of that. And I thought about it myself, too. And, in, 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 you know, why, how I approached it originally and my initial exposure to all the Kardashian brand. Right. So I think that was something that also is is shown here. And, you know, we talked about the in before. I think we've talked about porn usage here and, you know, the, the dangers that the workers face in that and the women particularly. And like, oh, well, you signed up for that. You know, you signed up for the abuse and the horrific things that happened. So I think that was another place we went down. But other stuff with this that you guys want to want to touch on as we go, because it's still, you know, scary. It really is scary for for everyone involved that, you know, where it could land and what it could do. Um, But things for people maybe having these discussions or hearing these things. I know my guys talked about you know we tried to bring guys like it it's okay for him to be hurt like it's okay for him to be like oh my gosh i'm no longer with my wife and she's moved on that's all that but where do you go with this it's not twitter right like you mentioned jeff like you you need help with these things that's okay to say but it was hard for any of them to admit you can't admit that you're the hurt one after the breakup you have to fight for the title that i broke it off with her or you're something less right yeah, I, I, the defensiveness leaps out at me, right? His behavior, what I was able to read, and I also see it in myself. Now, I had some help from my wife and my therapist and coworkers, right? Um, but defensiveness and wanting to get the last word in, right? And in Twitter, it's the last statement, obviously, the biggest exclamation point. Um, and the way he was handling, like, the control piece, you know, Carla, I'd really love to turn it to you to hear about this, like, tactics and controls, but the, 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 the thread I started to follow was like how he was refusing to let his daughter or allow his daughter to wear lipstick and social media and like the sexualization of girls, right? And it, we as a society have sexualized girls. And I know myself having conversations and reflection, but like already free writing out that, that my daughters would be harmed 
and, and I see them as that is as potential victims and, and knowing that their, their future is not written. Now, the work I do puts me in that qualm of seeing rates and, and, and reporting numbers and things, but they are more than just potential victims. They are human beings. And I think the caveat on the other side of that is only seeing men as potential perpetrators. Um, and so having to look internally, my own way I've come up with how I have sexualized women and women's bodies and objectified them. And I think that what I hear, what I read, and what Kanye is talking about, his, his law is really a possessing and control of his daughter's bodies because he's scared of the way that we as men have been raised and the permissions we get. Mm. Um, yeah, looking really at good. my own, own come-ups. Really, really good. Part of that. Well, I appreciate that. Carly. I appreciate that. I think that's such a empathetic way to look at this because like I was saying earlier where it's, I'm seeing this as like really patterned behavior of separation abuse, all these other things. I think it's really easy for us, especially those folks who, who do this full time to look at this and be like, that's a pattern. I see that. Like I can pick that up. No problem. And that's one part that even working with our teams, Kip with your guys, I want folks to see those patterns because I think when we pull that back and we can look at that, then it's like, oh, I see more ways I could intervene with a friend that is doing mm. that. I see more ways that I can break this down and make this make sense. And we lose the empathy piece that Jeff was talking about where it's like, yeah, we also might have other things feeding in and layered with some of this really problematic behavior. So I don't want to excuse it. And I just, I just want to like highlight how Jeff talked about that is really important when we think about these issues from a lot of different facets. So I think when, when you had sent the prompt and when we were thinking about, I don't want to just keep saying the Kim and Kanye stuff, but this and how it's being portrayed in the media, one of the things that I've been really grateful for is some really, um, some, some men with really big audiences who have spoken about their experiences with this. So I'm thinking about Trevor Noah on the daily mm. show and talking about he had a really, um, heartbreaking but also just real example of this plays out in every like everyday society your neighbor mm -hmm. could be experiencing this and if kim can't get away from it how is anybody as a as a regular quote-unquote human without all of the resources that she has how are they supposed to leave and that's where i want folks to start to like make these connections and the patterns because i think that allows us to extend that empathy to our neighbors, right? We pull it out of the piece where Kim is just the product of the Kardashians, whatever it is. It's like, no, this happens to real mm -hmm. people. Not that she's not a real human, right. but it happens to the folks that we know in our communities all of the time. And so I think the biggest piece that I think with Trevor Noah was really, really impactful. And I was really grateful to see men using their platform that way. I think Sean King has also gone through and done a lot of really intentional, like, this is how I see these patterns playing out as a man of color. Here are some of the ways that I am seeing religion being used mm -hmm. as a tool here to further exploit this situation. Here are some ways that I think we need to be careful and not misstep and like really attribute pieces here to Kanye that maybe aren't his to hold so I just I'm yeah. grateful for those platforms and I, in thinking about separation abuse I think it encompasses all of this right it's super common this is one of the main reasons why particularly women who don't have power in a relationship don't leave and mm. we always have that question around 
why don't folks just leave a relationship that's difficult? They don't leave because sometimes this scenario, having everything you say pulled out, either it's in the media or to your friends and family, on social media, whatever it is, that's enough of a reason sometimes to be like, I'd much rather just deal with whatever I'm experiencing privately than have everything put out. Because once I leave, I don't have any control anymore. What little piece I did have is probably gone. And so I think that's a big dynamic too, where we don't attribute this to our communities all the time. And we ask that question, why don't you leave? And we don't think about the public piece of it, the extra harm, Kanye moving right across the street from her house. Like there are so many wonderful diagrams of folks. We love wheels in our work. So if folks want to look up, there's something called the post-separation um, abuse wheel. It's from the Duluth model. And it lays out all these different ways, financial abuse, using kids, that control over the kid's image on the internet, moving across the street from her, her house, inaccurately portraying things that she said or doing on social media, wild gifts, like truckfuls of roses, like all of these things are textbook. And when we can notice that, I think that's a little bit easier for us to then figure out how can we get him some help and how can we get folks who are trying to leave the support that they need. And that's why we bring you two on here for such good reflection and lens, uh, giving us the lens to, to, to look at this. It makes me think, Jeff, of a call them in training. Once you know, you can never go back to pretending and living like you don't. Carly, like if people know these patterns, suddenly you don't fall into those traps of how to view it and how to who's it, who's at, you know, who's doing the harm. Um, that, that was awesome. Any, anything else? I don't want to ruin it with anything from me. Any last thoughts before I let you guys go? This was great. I love Carly, you lean in the patterns. And I think, let's see with teammates, right? Like, you know, your teammates patterns. And so again, it's the bystander model. Like if you see your teammate, like reaching out frequently, you know, or, or obsessing all those things that, that, that you know, Ye is doing in a, in a, like with a bunch of money, but you know, on a, a low end budget, like just stocking behavior, like that's stocking and that is causing yeah. fear. And so, I think for us, like to think about our teammates, people we love and care about, like when we see patterns in their behaviors change, like these, these, the, the media is bumping out these stories. Like how can we internalize those? And I can just think about so many examples from my own teammates in the past of when their interests changed, when their behaviors really went to a place where I wasn't comfortable, but I wasn't really saying anything because I was supposed to stay in my lane. Um, and so now as this has become much, much more normalized of like pointing out these, these patterns that you're talking about, Carly, but these stories from, from mainstream, mainstream media outlets, yeah, let's have conversations because those are teaching tools. And we're all living our lives. So yeah, I appreciate the conversation that was done. And I, I think that piece that we really key into as educators is for this example specifically, we focus really heavily on when you're in a relationship. Here's what's healthy. Here's what's a green flag. Here's what's a red flag. Here's what's abusive. We do a lot of like, here's how not to get into a bad relationship. And here's how to notice if your relationship is bad. We don't talk about those red flags or green flags for folks for a breakup. We don't talk about that. I feel like as much as we talk about the other pieces. And so helping our guys, helping our athletes to think about when you're breaking up, what does that look like? Like, I think they're going to go through a lot more of that in college probably than the, like, being mm -hmm. in a long-term relationship piece. So we should be focusing that energy there of, like, 
when you break up, how do you do that in a way that's not harmful for either party, for yourself, for the other person? And here's some of the ways that abuse plays out in that separation. People who are going to need that power and control, what are some of these things that we might see? And so giving, I think for coaches, other folks that might be listening, making sure that you're including that in the overall education for your folks in the relationship, getting into a relationship, great. What happens after? We want to make sure we're focusing on that breakup point too. So good. Cross the streams, calling men in. Thank you both. We'll get back together again sooner rather than later. Content reminder. The opinions expressed on today's episode are those of the hosts and guests alone and should not be viewed as reflective of the opinions of the institutions or employers of the hosts and guests.